Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Just stone cold set up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Loaded edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7 this week, so let's not waste any time and get right into it. I am Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for joining us this week for another edition of the show. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. Matt, no longer behind the glass. You're right in here with Rod and myself. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? How is life no longer being behind the glass? Because we've been mm-hmm. in this studio for what, uh... How long have we close, been in here now? Is it getting close to a year? Hey, hey, more than a year. It's We've been over year, here right? like a year and a half. Yeah, and half. Okay, uh, it's a little bit different because when you're in that separated room as a producer, you can listen to stuff and like sort of be the guy surprising y'all. Instead, I'm in the room with y'all, so we're all just more conversational it's, in here. It is definitely a different perspective. It's like Tom Herman calling plays on yeah. the sideline and being able to call plays <laughs> you're from right. the booth. He wants, he wants to separate himself from the emotion of the game, the sideline. You can't do that. Well, and you, the emotion of the game it's will a great Combination. You. Yeah, and you, you get exposed by the emotion of mm. us getting into a discussion. You'd rather mm-hmm. be behind the glass and you can put in the drops and do all that. More controlled environment. Totally understand. Perfect. Uh, a man who thrives in controlled or uncontrolled environments, he's just that good because he's the renaissance man of the Blitz. The renaissance man at the Austin Radio Network, dare I say, which in uh, the Horn family ride to say you're the renaissance man, that's... Uh, I would say, yeah, I would say, say quite KD, KD is a great Renaissance man. He's a foodie and he does all kind of stuff. I mean, he's into a lot like of Like Brad Kellner, not a Renaissance man. Brad Kellner, not, and he will tell you that he's not a Renaissance <laughs> man. Trey, Trey's a bit of a Renaissance man, too, because you know he's a very eclectic eater and he reads a lot. He'll always drop these, oh, I was oh, a book I'm reading this week. And then, Even though guy, B- Bucky Gobble's got some eccentric qualities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bucky, Bucky's t- becoming more of an old man each day. But, man, Bucky is the ultimate. I can't call him a pimp because he's married yeah, now. But, but he's old school. He's got pimpalicious ways. And, and you know this because he has just got married or less than a year, maybe a year or something like that, and he doesn't even live with his wife. Right. Like, how can you convince a woman that I want to marry you and not live with you? That is my hero. I love Bucky. I really, truly didn't even believe that he got married. Like, I heard him talking about his wedding on the radio, and I was like, no, brother, my, to my brother. I was like, no, there's no way. This is some type of radio no. bit. And he's like, no, he did. Got married. She is she's very attractive. Uh, and not just for her age. Like, she's, she's, she's pretty hot. Sorry, Bucky, if that dis- is that disrespectful. But no, no. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> so you get an idea of the environment he's in, and he thrives in it every day on the broadcast from 1 to 3. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American. 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. When he gets that T-ring in, he'll wear it proudly. But nevertheless, <laughs> he's a card-carrying member of DBU, a black card carrying member nice. of DBU. I like that. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod, I think you earned that whenever, whatever number you wore in your sport at UT, if you're the best to do it, then I think you're a black card. You know member. what? I agree with you. You know what? I want somebody to be a better 21 than Rod B. I would like that. You it's were, you were hoping Duke yet. Thomas would be that guy. 
Uh, Duke Thomas came close. Blake Gideon was a great 21. Mm-hmm. Love Blake Gideon. Started more games than any other player in the history of DBU. You remember those Duke Thomas debates we used to have on the show? Like that oh, one spring where that one sp- that spring where he was like working wide receiver and corner. Um, is Duke in the AAF now? Yes, he's as right? far as I know still with the right? uh, San Antonio team. And he was he was on the NFL roster like two years he's, ago. He's been, last year, yeah, I he's gotten he uh, he was with the Texans for a little bit, Cowboys, with the Cowboys for a couple for a years. Uh, yeah. I think I think he maybe got a cup of coffee with the 49ers. He, the, the AAF is for guys like Duke Thomas, or even guys like Rod Babers. Toward the end of my career too, and I the end most of my career. That you just need to work, man. You can't. You can't. That off that off season hurts you right. when you're a guy like Duke Thomas. And toward the end of my career, you need to work. You need to need to cultivate your craft. The AAF, even though you're not going against NFL guys, still gives you the ability to do that. So Duke, that's why I love that. I Duke, love that league. Duke Thomas has me blocked on Twitter for some reason. I don't what? Know, maybe he listened to the show and like heard some of the oh, debates. Oh, maybe he blocked having. me too. I gotta check this out. Oh <laughs> man, I didn't know that. I gotta check this out. Oh, I hope I'm not. Blessed. I found that out because I tried to tag him or something. I was, it was a couple years ago. I was doing a story on him, and it's like you can't tag this person. You can't tag somebody if uh, you've if got a block you? or something. Let me see if he blocks me. No, I, I'm not blocked. I tried I don't to like. Follow him. Um, he doesn't. Follow I end up me. clicking on like the username, and it's like you cannot view profiles that have you blocked. Follow or Duke Thomas. Remember DB. I'm gonna follow him. There you, you know go. What I mean? Um, so let's stick with the DB theme, and we'll talk about let's the combat. We'll, we'll we'll get to little Jordan Humphrey here in a little bit. We'll oh, shelf man. that decision. Yeah, yeah we'll shelf that conversation discussion. for a, a little bit. Yeah. But Rod, let's start with the DB and uh, Chris Boyd with Boyd. with both of his testicles intact. <laughs> I love that very much. <laughs> Every year, somebody gets asked the crazy question at the combine, and this year it sounds like it was Chris Boyd. A team asked him if he had both his testicles. His response was something like, "Yeah, I've got them," and don't really well, know why you have, you let me get, ask. I, I actually have so. the exact response. I can That's like, does the NFL know more than I do? No, it was. Yeah, I, I actually could. Okay, so. <laughs> but it was yeah. one of those deals where it's like, look, well, I mean, if the guy like had testicular cancer or there was like some sort of accident, like that would show up on a medical. No, this was. I don't I think, know why you would need to do it in an I interview. I think this was questioning testicular fortitude <laughs> and manhood. Oh, so you think this was not a literal question? No, this no, was one to trigger no, emotions. This was not literal. This, this, it, well, if it was, if it was anything other than something to provoke him, which yeah. most of, listen. The, the wildest story was not the Chris Boyd story. We'll get back to it in a second. North Carolina Charlotte guard Nate Davis mm. said one team official, which he would not name because <laughs> he don't want to be a snitch, he says he went into the meeting and put his hand out to shake the coach's hand, and the coach rebuffed his handshake and punched him in the chest and said, quote, <laughs> you have a soft chest. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, like, this look, is abusive, most yeah, sir. <laughs> you know, and like that, that, so most of this, and that was just – to, to get a reaction out yeah. of him, he said he didn't panic. He was just like, "Oh, well, okay. Well, can we start the <laughs> kind interview?" Kind of a now? punch. Like, we're talking. We're talking like a shove or like boom. Oh, he said he punched him. That literally, he uh, he says he the official punched Davis in the chest. <laughs> Uh, but getting back to Chris Boyd, my point is a lot of this stuff is to get crazy, you know, uh, emotions or to get a crazy reaction from you. The craziest question I was asked was, when's the last time you wore women's underwear? Yeah, think and about I, that how that question was phrased to you. When's the last time? Last you time wore women's I underwear. wore women's underwear. And, and I said, I've, I've never worn women's underwear. I said, I go commando, I think was my, I said, I go commando. I was asked time. to clarify what your response to that question was, Rod. Somebody yeah. on the site wanted to know. So. Yeah, I said, I, I said, no, I said, I haven't ever worn women's underwear, but I go commando most major. of the time. And I actually did, I play commando. But the point is, the, the, the combine is a pressure cooker. And everything, asking Des Bryant if his mom's a hooker and asking you if you're gay and all this kind of Punching stuff. Punching dudes in the chest, apparently. Like, I don't think they're homophobic. Well, 
I hope they're not homophobic, yeah. and I hope they are not, you know, that uh, insensitive and inconsiderate. I think it's just to see how you how you react to it. And and the and the messed up thing is, you're wrong either way. Yeah. If somebody asks you if your mom's a hooker, and you don't haul off and get crazy and want to hit and actually threaten to hit that coach, half those coaches in that meeting room who are sitting in the back while you're being interrogated, they're gonna say. I don't want a player on my team who's not gonna stand up to somebody insulting his mama. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you do, do if you do stand up and go crazy and are irate, the other half of that room's gonna go. I don't want a player like that who's gonna lose his cool. I don't yeah. want a hothead. Right. So it's all you, you know. I mean, you're in a losing situation. Just I like think, the punch in the chest. Well, thing. That's if you we, if you take it, it's like well, I don't want if you we, punch me in the chest. You better react. Exactly. I, I want to know you're being the fox. And that's with me. why we. Or heard, if you do react, well, if, if you put, somebody punches you in the game, you're gonna punch back and get thrown out. So what they want is someone who thinks quickly on their feet. And this is just me and my experience, and all the guys I know from the combine and my experience there. They want the guy who's going to give them the best of both worlds. So what's the ideal thing? Somebody punching me in my chest. You tell that coach, "Hey, coach, I know you got a job to do. You, please don't punch me in my chest again. If you do, I, you we're going to we're going to we and you going to have a conversation right. on the side. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. they want the best of both worlds with that with with the way you approach it. So you're almost in a lose lose. But for Chris Boyd, I think his response. Let me make sure I get his response before we move on. His one crazy question. He said, uh, "Do I have both testicles?" He, I was like, "Yeah, I don't know why you got to ask." That was one I can think of. That was his response. And that's where also in the Ugh. recent years, because you never knew. Hell, I remember you were the first person telling us combine stories back about a decade ago oh, yeah. whenever you started with radio. But it was like the right when the Internet and Twitter and everything was exploding to where you weren't yearly getting these reports or then now people expecting to see these questions. And we've seen sort of how the NFL has had to deal with these issues each year whenever yeah. there's a team that maybe oversteps. And it's another part of the power battle that you're dealing with where there is a tiny bit and it's totally just right that you end up having the teams not abuse this power knowing that the player is in a powerless situation and really can't they can only hurt themselves like you said maybe can't even help themselves and it's because they're being put in an unfair situation and that's why in the last couple years you've had some teams be at least reprimanded verbally or been told that no this isn't a normal workplace if we're gonna be sending these kids off we can't be sending them somewhere and then y'all are treating them like this yeah that's not a good workforce or a good way to treat your workforce so at least hearing these stories come out some of them are entertaining but hopefully they also will evolve it to where you don't have as many outlandish or absurd ones because you hit do that to the wrong guy he's in his own right to knock you out and then you got a really big issue at that problem if you do or Say you asked the wrong person. Yeah. Say you asked uh, Mike Tyson in the 80s or a Lawrence Taylor in the 80s, and he would be a guy that would have just snapped on you. Like Those people are still there, and now that the fact that you have to have the players sort of just sit back and take it was never really fair, so it's good to see that you have the teams, at least from times, these becoming public, and then if you are to be shamed, you get shamed like certain people do. Rod, I wonder, too, how much of it is this, and you can tell me if I'm way off or if there's something to it. I wonder if when a guy goes in to meet with a team, if a team says, hey, we're not going to draft this guy. Let's just have a little fun with him. Could be that, too. I totally could see that because it is, it is the unofficial – uh, job conference of the NFL, like every NFL big shot, every NFL mind and person is there, whether from the TV side, the agents are all there, the coaches are all there, and it's a bit of purgatory, right? Because is tampering, does tampering apply? Because everybody's there just kind of hanging out and talking right. and having a good time. That's why a lot of the trade rumors and stuff and trade reports come it, out after the combine. Before and the players, tampering, because you point, aren't on a roster. Exactly. No, and to yeah. your point, yeah. the players... 
uh, who are in the combine, they're not a part of a player's association, but they're mm-hmm. no longer in college, so they're in purgatory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they got no recourse. They're like, somebody uh, somebody you know, asked me something inappropriate. Who are you going to tell? Players association are like, well, we don't. We're not affiliated with you. You're not a part of the NFL. Right. You Nowadays, like you can go to the internet, coach. though, and tell, and that's you where— You can, but that's your only recourse. And then exactly. after that, the NFL may decide, well, we don't like that guy. He's a snitch. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so they really, That's the so issue that, that's that I was talking about combine. that you're dealing it is, with. It is purgatory. Right. So I think there is a lot of inappropriate conduct going on, period, from all sides. And, yes, I bet some of the coaches are like, man, I'm just going to have fun with this guy. <laughs> they get 60—I think they can interview um, sixty up to 60 players for 15 minutes at a time. So, yeah, they're not, they know they're not going to draft, you know, 75% of players they're bringing in. Or like, if this mm-hmm. guy, this guy's not even on our board. Well, exactly. Man, we're just going to have some fun because some coach wanted to bring him in for some. Hell, sometimes they bring the guys in and ask them about other players. That's what and I was going to ask you, too. Like, so asking you, come me. They use those 60, asking, though. Asking about Corey Redding. I'm like, well. If yeah, you only get a right. certain well, amount, so, though, they're going to get the money. So in those situations, when you're well, at the bottom of the list, maybe it, you aren't drafting a guy, so you'll dr- go after yeah. his teammates well, so you can talk to him. If you're drafting in the first round, your first round pick, you're drafting you know, a quarterback or a D-line or whatever, why not with one of your 60 interviews at, toward the 40 or the mm-hmm. 50th one where you know, like, man, we don't care, we're not interviewing this guy, why not do, use it as due diligence yep. to get intelligence on the first round That's pick? That's what I was going to mm-hmm. ask you because yeah. you're, you're, you're specific here at the Combine – you were in the same draft class with Sims, Chris Sims, who was your roommate. Ready. So if somebody's looking to take a quarterback, yeah. they might say, hey, bring Babers in here. He was his roommate. Let's I know they train to together. Let's see what, let's see what he knows. It happens all the time. Yeah. I would, say that, I would say that happens more than we actually think, especially about first, like top draft picks. Mm-hmm. You bring somebody in also to kind of confirm some of the things that you did that heard. happen? Did that happen to you at the combine? Did it, well, teams people ask, ask you about me. Other guys? I don't know if that was specifically the reason, but people ask me about Corey Redding and Chris Sims a lot in my interview. So I don't know if that's – it could have been part of the reason too. Um, so, and I think I only had four interviews, maybe four or five that I can remember. So, um, I didn't have that. I don't have. I didn't have that many. Everybody has a different number, depending right. on you know how much they like you or whatever. I think Charles and who ended up meeting with like seven or eight teams. Yeah, everybody's got a different number. I mean, I think Sims and C Red. I won't say both of those guys were in the. 15 to 16 teams, like a lot of teams. So let's stick with the DBs, though, and look at the testing numbers. Because, Rod, I tried to find, like, combines that were comparable. Okay, like, who does this combine compare to and, like, looking at different skill sets? And you look at Chris Boyd uh, and his combine numbers. Wasn't terribly long. The height, I think it was 5'11 and 3'8 or 7'8 or something. You know, right around the two hundred pound mark. Uh, ran a four four six, I believe was four four five four four six was, was his best time. Four four six was his second. If you look at his skill set, you look at his projection, and you look at a combine that was comparable to his. I looked at Cheeto Bayouzier's combine, mm-hmm. and the numbers between those two guys are very similar. Mm-hmm. And the NFL fit is real similar too, in terms of Cheeto Bayouzier was a guy who was a corner in college who. Uh, you know, the Cowboys played him in safety. He's a nickel guy that can play multiple positions in the secondary. Yeah. Uh, I think Chris Boyd has the skill set to do that in the NFL, but I think for Chris Boyd, the interview process was going to be big for him because I think teams want to know because we saw at times at Texas how bad his eyes were, how he got lost in coverage, doesn't play well with his back to the quarterback. In terms of football IQ, how much does he know? Can he handle playing multiple positions at the next level? Yeah, well, that's what everybody does that in their interviews. I mean, they'll break down film with you. There's a the question, you know, question and answer period, but then there's the part where, you know, they turn on the film. Right. Or they'll put you on the dry erase board. And they want to know, you know, exactly what your football IQ is. It's basically a little mini test. Right. Most of the time it's film and they and it's about you. It's either a bad player or a good play. And they're gonna show you and be like, Okay, so what were you thinking on this play? What are your reads? What um are you reading number one, number two? 
you know, what's your secondary read and focus after number one or number two disappears? What coverage are you in? All that kind of stuff. And yeah, for Chris Boyd, I imagine most of those plays are going to be, you know, his bad plays. Right. And try and what I what I think they're going to ask him about, you know, because Chris Boyd's really bad with his back to the football. Like, and I think that's what teams realize in the Big Twelve. Like, when his back to the football, man, just throw it, just throw it, because he'll he'll have a panic moment, mm-hmm. and that one moment of panic is enough for that position, that receiver to get position, and for him to make a play. We saw that time and time again on Chris Boyd, and I think that was one of the reasons they want to get double moves and they want to try to get him deep. They just want to get his back turned because that's when he's at his worst. So for him, he, you know, one of the things I think that he'll be asked about is like, what's your plan? What's your protocol when when your when your back is turned and you're beat? Like mm-hmm. what what are you what are you looking for? What are you trying to do? And when I and when I was always beat, you find the hip of the receiver, and you want to make sure you locate it. You want to make sure you can feel it. With, and he can do that. This guy's fast. I mean, he's four four. I mean, he's a really good athlete. Secure the hip of the receiver. Find it. Feel it. And then look and lean. All right. Look for the ball. Lean into the receiver. Those are my kind of three steps when I was beat. And I was a real fast corner, so I could do that. And for Chris Boyd, he doesn't have any protocol when he's beat. Like, it's just pure panic. No protocol. And I think they're going to ask him about things like that. And I know he's being taught these things. We know that. Hell, the, the Horns 247 article last year, which was awesome, was talked about, you know, his improvement after that uh, Oklahoma game. Yeah. All right? Going to the Oklahoma State game when they put the GoPro on his helmet and everything. It's a great story. But it really talked about how Texas, they couldn't even figure out what was wrong with him. They had the genius idea of putting a GoPro on his head to – to, so they could see where, what he was looking at from, mm-hmm. from, from, uh, from down to down and within the down. And it turns out that that's the way they corrected his eyes, and he's got bad eyes. I think that actually happened a lot this year too where he's got bad eyes. And he can tell you, oh, coach, I'm looking at this. Coach, I'm looking at that. The film doesn't back that up. The film says your eyes get caught up in the backfield. The film says that you don't identify your receiver in man coverage. So the film says something different than what his right. football I- IQ may say. So that's what they're going to want. They're going to want to bridge that disconnect. Uh, with Chris Boyd, I've heard a lot of people talk about him playing safety, man, because he plays really well facing the football. He's got uh, decent ball skills. He's physical as hell. He had 19 reps on the bench more than any other cornerback. Uh, so you know he's strong. And you know he's, you know, like you just said with Chidobia Awuzie, that comparison, you know, he seems like a, just a versatile athlete overall. Mm-hmm. So if you get good coaching, maybe they can play him at the, uh, the nickel in those dime packages, playing safety or playing the dime. So, I th- yeah, of course. I mean, he could end up being drafted as high as Charles Amenahu just because of his, his specs, you know what I mean? And you know he'll be a core special teams guy, gunner, jammer, kickoff guy, whatever. No question about it. So, yeah, it's it's it's, it's a challenge with Chris Boyd because his, we knew the phys- physical dimensions and measurables were there, but that didn't translate to the film. And he's just a, a, a defensive back who's got a really high ceiling, but he's got a really low basement too. He doesn't yeah. have really he, – he didn't develop a baseline as a player. Which that, is, that sums up his Texas career. You know I what think, I mean? Like, yeah. how do you not develop a baseline as a, as a veteran player, as a junior or a senior, where you have a consistent level of play and you never really drop below that? Now, you may never – you may not always play as an all-conference player, an all-American player, or play as an NFL player on that Saturday or Sunday, but you never look like you're a guy that doesn't belong on the field. No, and and it there was, were times It was week-to-week week with him, too. Yeah. Like, you pop in the Oklahoma State film, you're like, I'm not touching this guy until maybe the sixth or seventh round, you pop in the West Virginia tape of him like, going against David Sills, you're like, wow, wow this guy's probably a top That's 100 pick. Team no all question. Big 12. Yeah, defender. Yeah. And, that, yeah, I mean, the, and I think that is the, the conundrum. So which, which is the real Chris Boyd? 
And the position that he plays is the worst position where you don't want to have a baseline because you can be a catastrophic error. Exactly. Just, a double can, move, exactly. fall forward, then boom, we're down by seven because you had a brain fart. Exactly. You know I mean? And yeah. then you brought it up right there, but how you had a protocol in the panic. And that's something that is really like if you think about a player like Boyd who has all the physical skills, but in one situation when his back's turned to the ball, at that out. point he doesn't have a protocol in the panic. And, I mean, if you could find a way to fix that short circuiting if he's able to do that it shows that he has all the tools to get everything done so that's just one thing that it's great description like a short, short circuit it almost like yeah. yeah like that that one part of his well, game when he you gets think about turn, though like how chasing. the game hasn't slowed yeah. down for certain guys like he's not the neo in the matrix and we've seen the deer in the headlights look with certain players that whenever you, that somebody doesn't you feel that they are uncomfortable they are one that's hesitating something like that so if you have that while you're playing defensive back while your back's turned you're totally lost with the ball and if you can fix it it can be a quick fix it's just sometimes that's something that ends somebody's career because they're never able to be comfortable in that chaotic environment right. some team may play more zone than man and like them though. there you go and that's where you can fit perfect yeah right i watched some of the combine didn't watch all of it but i caught uh and it might have been on one of the videos texas put out but daniel jeremiah and charles davis were having a conversation during the db drills and i forgot which one of them said it but it's a point that i brought up here on the show to you and we've talked about it Guys at college level and even guys at the NFL level, you don't see anybody backpedal anymore. No. Like most, especially in the Big 12 where you're playing a lot of quarters coverage, you're mm-hmm. your butts to the sideline, or you're just, yep. uh, you know, you're in some type of zone coverage or whatever. Uh, very few guys turn to run. And, and you even pointed that out this year at Texas with, I know Jason Washington coaches bump and run technique. I know they coach press, but yeah. you don't see corners very very rarely do you see guys truly bump and run yeah yeah um overall i just want to get your opinion on that because it's something yeah. we're seeing less and less football now no i agree and i think the uh, the back pedal uh you know even when the coach Keaton was here we were learning the shuffle technique because he wasn't a big fan of back pedals you know what I mean? Because you were playing against all these air raid offenses and you had these crossing change routes direction. and change direction. And even when we were in man coverage and we were playing off in man coverage, he wanted you to be able to see see the route development and he didn't want you to take yourself out of the play. So he would encourage to shuffle. And we right. all got to the point where we were shuffling more than we were backpedaling. Richard so, Sherman, big on the shuffle. Big on the, I think a lot of people now, yeah. are. Big, it seems like a more comfortable state for a, a defensive back, especially got defensive backs are getting bigger and longer. Right. right. guy like Richard Sherman trying to get down the compact stands to backpedal. It's like, well, it seems counterproductive. When get, the shuffle keeps your footwork shifting. inside. Yeah, so if you can get a good you know, balance uh, when, you're shuffling, when you're shuffling, it serves the same purpose. But I think actually puts you in a better position to explode out the break. So, so I think that's where people are going and you know what? Now, you know, I think people are, they just want you to be able to see the football backpedal oftentimes. Yeah, you can see everything, but, you know, I mean, like you, sometimes you can you can lose leverage really quick with backpedal. You're, you're like almost on that 180 straight. axis. You yeah, don't have that ability to it shave. It almost allows you to swivel a little bit better and allows you to, to maintain leverage better than backpedaling. Is it, is it almost Change directions to both sides, basically. Yeah. Is it is is the the backpedaling versus shuffling? Is it almost the same thing? And I'm as, I'm leaning on your expertise as a DB who's done it at the highest level. Is it almost the same thing as people that have the debate? Well, a quarterback he's in the shotgun too much. He needs to be under center. Well, Not if he's different. seeing the field, does it really matter if he's yeah. taking a, a snap from shotgun or under center? It's a great point because what is that about footwork, right? They you know worried about the footwork of the quarterback when they take that shotgun. Eliminated. Yeah, like, yeah, center. Matt. You 
you took the words out yeah. of my mouth. You're li- you're just basically taking almost an unnecessary it's a step out. I do, exactly. That you're taking the margin for error. There's a chance of error that you're bringing into the play just by choice, by backpedaling or by being under yeah, center. I agree. That, that like you have to have the hand to hand and a couple steps. So there's one, two, three. Now they are minuscule, but those are chances. And if you eliminate those, like there's a lot of sports nowadays that just is about eliminating that, that error. Bill, that's a good comparison. If Bill Belichick can question combine drills and their necessity or their relevance today, then we can all question combine drills and their necessity and their no, relevance. I'm with you on that. Like I I'm watching the backpedal drill and I'm just thinking like how you know, often do we've I We've been talking about I was like we've been talking about it on the blitz for years. We don't see anybody backpedaling. Yeah, you anymore. don't. You really don't. I think middle field safeties are the last guys I see that are mm, full yeah. on backpedals mm. a lot of times. And and it's easy to do that when you're twenty yards off <laughs> exactly. the ball, you know? I think the game's just happening too fast now. Yeah. I mean it really is. You're, that three-step read, I remember Coach Aquino was teaching us, like, don't move at all during your three-step read. Take your three-step read as almost a slow shuffle backwards so that when he does pop that slant, you're right on top of him. And and you're so yeah. slow where if you use the leverage right, he's got to run through you if he wants to go slant and go anyway. It's still different. Like yeah. If you go to a Texas practice, because Texas goes from the shotgun almost exclusively in the pro spread, if you watch him throw bubbles – there's no footwork involved. It's how quick can you get the ball? It's take the snap, boom, get it out, boom, get it out, boom, get it exactly out. Like right. They're not working on – there's no step process in there. You're yeah. already, your feet are already set. And what what if the air raid and the spread do? Ball started coming out quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Coach Keenan's like, oh, pedal, man. By the time you get into your back pedal, they already got the route combination going and guys got crossing routes and slams. Same thing with the shotgun. Like yeah. You can't make that Boss. bubble. Right? You can't throw that pass if you have to drop back five steps mm-hmm. and then throw the pass. It's just not possible to happen. Yeah. So I, I think you're right. I think it's just evolution. And not, not that both don't serve a purpose and both can't work, but I'm just saying I agree. I think that's one technique right now that's becoming more prominent. And I think that one maybe <laughs> followed the other. Like the, like the more the shotgun was, the more the DBs had yeah. to adjust how they're able. You don't have the time to backpedal and have those few steps maybe be taken advantage of. And some guys love it. Listen, John Elway says the reason he picked J- Joe Flacco over Nick Foles oh was because God. Joe Flacco was under center more than Nick Foles was. Okay, so – <laughs> well, we show, they're, they're still guys who are really, really old school about the way they think about yeah. the football. Look the at the Broncos' position. quarterback position I for know, a decade. Like, that's why you chose a quarterback. Oh my god! Well, and that's it's why. Like can, it also can, shows me why you chose you can, Osweiler. Well, you can teach that, John. I mean, what you, mean? you can teach yeah. it. You can teach him how to get under center. Like yeah. Jared Goff was on in, in shotgun ninety five percent of the time out of the air raid, out of the, the Cal Bear raid offense. And when he got to uh, the the Rams under Jeff Fisher, Jeff Fisher said, "Up, oh, I I can't teach him how to like, go into center. He's just he's just not that good going into center." Basically, that's why he was a bust, right? Because they couldn't they couldn't translate that because <laughs> his coaching staff was terrible. And then Sean McVay comes in, and guess what team is under center more than any other team in the NFL? The Rams. Yeah, just if y'all want to laugh, <laughs> hop onto Twitter and just coaching. type in Mike Leach in snaps because he actually. Yeah, I saw this him recently. tweet something about this. It was the pretty other day, good. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think I did see that. Too. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just some interesting anyway. X's and O's yeah. kind of football nuance talk there. But overall, Rod, I thought Chris Boyd had a pretty solid combine. Even a, you could say he had a good combine. I thought he had a good combine. Like you said, the bench numbers, 19, yeah. it was more than four, any other four, corner. Mid 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, which good is time. probably – I mean, if you looked at his offseason testing at Texas, Yancey McKnight said last summer on their watch, which I don't know how they're timing the offseason, I don't know if they're using a stopwatch or laser yeah, or what. Uh, he said Chris Boyd was probably a low 4-4 four, low four, four type guy. So, you know, for him to go four four five it, To do it at the Combine is because the Combine, usually guys are faster away from the Combine right. generally than they are at the Combine. Gary Johnson goes four four three. 
Uh, man, those linebackers were moving. They were. And I think three Devin of the White, five fastest times in the history of the combine for linebackers were at this combine. Devin White goes four four two, and then yeah. Devin Bush, his official time <laughs> was four four three. So he's right there with Gary Johnson. Um, Rod, I tried to find somebody, and again, I was just looking for comparisons, guys. For Larry past Johnson. Combine. I'm sorry for Gary Johnson. It, it was almost <laughs> impossible because guys that ran the same time as him. Like the the weights are different, so mm-hmm. it's he's faster than guys that are comparable in terms of height. It's just you don't really find anything that's like no. comparable. The closest thing I think mm-hmm. I found, I looked at some of Ernie Sims combine numbers when he came out, and he was in the same kind of six foot six one. I think he was two thirty three. I think Gary Johnson was two twenty six. Uh, Ernie Sims ran I think four five flat, yeah. and some of the testing numbers were pretty similar, not exactly, but it was. Yeah, in, in the, the ballpark, but yeah, it's just it's interesting though when you start doing the research, Rod, in terms of like linebacker evolution. Now into with the NFL becoming more of a spread game, mm-hmm. you need guys who can run. So I think Gary Johnson has a chance much more now than he did even five years ago to to not only make a roster but get himself drafted in those middle rounds. Gary Johnson is. <laughs> In today's NFL, he's almost ideal, and it sounds crazy, yeah. but but he, he he will knock like he'll come down and he'll fill the he'll fill the alley. Uh, we know that he's a ferocious hitter and likes physicality. He doesn't shy away from it. And with a guy of his size, usually that's the concern. But when you got a guy that can run. I think about this now for that 2017 defense. Your two inside linebackers, mm-hmm. Malik Jefferson and Gary Johnson, were probably as fast, if not faster, than any of the guys in your secondary. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Gary Johnson was faster, right than there Chris with Boyd. Chris Boyd. <laughs> so, man, if you're if you're Todd Orlando, and I know this is kind of off the subject, man, I, I hope hope you're not building your your defense going forward, hoping to get to be able to replicate that. Another like that heat is, seeking missile. That, I don't know if any other team in college football can say they had linebackers that fast. That's crazy. Yeah, like four four. I think Malik was a four, legitimate Malik four five. Four, four five two. I think. Yeah. Last year. So okay. So four, getting five, back two, to four, it, five, my three. point is like that. That that defense. That's that was part of what made them special. Was Puna inside? Then your two inside <laughs> linebackers faster than any other. We'll look back at the 2017 <laughs> defense in a few years and be like, man, wow, that defense was that legit. Defense was really good. Exactly. And Chris uh, Boyd, so we Charles did the Benham same thing with drafted. that 2012. Yeah. Come on, man. Too. Yeah. Uh, yeah with, with the same point. roster, we were like, oh, man, it wasn't yeah. as bad as we thought. When you look back, you're like, damn. I guess, they they probably should have been better, even though they were really good. No wonder um, why they had one of the top defenses right? in the country. Yeah. So, But getting Gary Johnson, he can stay on the field for three downs. He, at, at first down, and the thing about it, teams are throwing the ball more on first down than they ever have in the history of the NFL. Right. Why? Because all the stats say the most successful passing down is not second, not third down. It is first down. Mm-hmm. You get more yards passing on first down than any other down in the NFL. So people are passing more on first down. They used to be the the slobber knocker down. And on second down now, you know, okay, if they want to run it, but teams probably are going to throw it more on second down than they did on on, on first down. Mm-hmm. All right? And then you have third down, which is because traditionally passing down. So the game's just becoming more of a spread game. They're passing more. If you got a linebacker that can run 4-4, that means he can line up and play an Alvin Kamara or line up and cover guys in a slot like a Todd Gurley. He can line up and cover tight ends. I mean, that's how the Patriots were able to get their advantage on the Rams, remember? They mm-hmm. had 21 personnel, but then they spread everybody out. They went empty formation out of 21 personnel, which had only been done, I think, 11 times by all 32 teams the entire season, 11 times total. And what they did was they found matchups. They found linebackers and safeties that couldn't cover tight ends and running backs. Gary Johnson, that's not a matchup advantage. He can run 4-4. He can cover that wheel route yeah. with Kareem Hunt coming out of the backfield. Not a lot of guys can do that. So I think he's going to end up 
If he makes a, I think he'll end up making, now he's making a roster. He'll be a late pick because he's small. He'll be a value pick. But I think he's got a chance to stick, like, on right. a roster. It ended up being, like, potentially a starter in the league, like, at one point. He's that kind. To me, he's that kind of player. Yeah, so, and he's at the position where you sort of find value with value. him. And normally good teams are the only ones that root those out. So he'll be that guy that's a third or fourth rounder that ends up being a guy that produces day one or something that you that. sort of come and out of nowhere. special teams, a linebacker running the 4-4, <laughs> mm, I know right. they don't, the kickoff doesn't matter anymore, but still, that's every special teams unit right there. Um, <laughs> so we say Rod Geary Johnson's draft value probably mm. fifth, sixth round? Yeah, late five, early so. six. And I hate to say that because I think he's a better player than that, but that's the NFL. And, yeah, and with Boyd, the position, it'll just go down. Yeah, Chris Boyd probably late, late day two, early day three. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to Chris Boyd Fourth round, third, fourth round, somewhere in yeah. there. Yeah. So let's talk about Charles Amenahu because I know a lot of people looked at the forty time, which when it got adjusted to the yeah. official time, it wasn't that was bad. Four nine two. Four nine two. Yeah. You were running faster at the pro day. Yeah. Yeah. Dean's which don't have to run. It's crazy. It just shows you the Great depth point. of this D line <laughs> class, Rod. There's a couple ways to look wow. at the depth of this D line class. Uh, when you look at Charles Amenahu, who's forty, L.J. Collier, who's been at TCU, who's been getting a lot of buzz shooting up draft boards. Yeah. L.J. Collier went four nine one. Yeah. And then Jerry Tillery out of Notre Dame, who's considered a top, well, top seventy type pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry Tillery went four nine three. So Charles Bennett, who's right there. Um, and again, well, just again the depth of this D line class. You know, Taco Charlton a couple years ago was a first round pick, and I, I know I've used a couple Cowboys guys comparing combines, but that's what I know. That's in my wheelhouse because mm-hmm. that's what I study. Um, if you look at the combine numbers between Taco Charlton and Charles Amenhu, they're almost identical. Wow. And you're talking about a guy that went in the first round yeah. and probably in terms of that value, that draft where he was valued, he was probably valued as a top 20 to 25 guy. Yeah. Charles Amenhu might not go in the first 90 picks. Crazy. Right yeah. now, I've been seeing him as like late second, third round guy. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, he's got he's – got, Arms that are long as hell. I go. I didn't go look at the arm uh, length and see. Thirty six and a half. I think, man, yeah. you can correct but me. But I do that. remember at yeah. the Senior Bowl, what they say. Thirty six. The, the longest. It even. was the longest in, at the Senior Bowl in like four or five years since DJ Fluker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nick um, Bosa is thirty three, so he's got three inches. On yeah, Bosa. and you know he's got he's got great film and BGO, and everybody knows he's got two things that he uses. Ball as get his, off. Yes, at at his advantage uh, when he's rushing the passer, and he even brought this up in his combine interviews. I got a chance to watch some of them. With the media, not with the teams, obviously. And I'm sure they asked him about it. He said, my BGO is off the charts. I know I'm really good at it. That's why I, I disarm the offensive lineman because you better start thinking about getting to the, you know, making me run the bubble and getting, you know, getting already, you know, shuffling out there to make sure that, you know, you can meet me at the at the mesh point. And he said, once they're, they're usually on skates because they're trying to keep up with my BGO, that's when I use my length. And I can usually get them moving one way or the other. I can feel that out, and that determines his next move. Maybe it's going to be a spin move. Maybe it's going to be a rip. Maybe it's going to be a, you know, I mean, whatever it's going to be is kind of based on what their body weight's doing. Yeah. And I love that. That shows his, him maturing as a Grad player. level stuff right, right there. Uh, yeah, it is. And I was like, that makes perfect sense, too, because High yeah, like every you. offensive lineman's their pivot, where they pivot is different and where they like to shift their weight's different, depending right. on, you know, if they, they believe that, you know, they, they, can, they can make him run the bubble really quick or if they have really good hips or if they have a good punch at the, at the initially, whatever This is. is leverage. Yeah, whatever it is. So he's feeling that out, and then he, he, he changes his pass rush moves depending on what the offensive lineman is doing. And to me, that just shows you that's a guy that's thinking at an NFL level. So we know he's a really good pass rusher. Todd Orlando proved he can also stop the run by run, by playing him inside and the, the tight, the four-eye and all that kind of stuff. So 
for him running a four nine two, I think he'll run a four eight something at the pro day. But man, I I think there are teams that are gonna fall in love with Charles Minnehill. Yeah, I you know you you look at his evolution as a recruit. And he he's kind of the poster child I think Tom Herman wants to use going forward for this program and look how you can come into a program, mm-hmm. even though you had the coaching change, the staff only had him for two years, but look at the development he made yeah. by the time he left. He came in as a real wiry 230-pound guy. I mean, I remember Vance Bedford saying, look, we didn't even really want to play him as a true freshman, but they didn't have any choice. They had oh, yeah. to get him out there for depth purposes. And you know, Charles, coming up as a recruit, he was always had just a natural feel for pass rushing, but the question with him was, number one, where's his body going to go? Mm-hmm. And two – can he play the run with some consistency? And yeah. we saw that by force, really, with this Todd Orlando odd front. That the closer you got to play to the ball, I mean, you better be have you better have your hard hat and your lunch pail and, and be ready to go and work in the trenches. And so he's always had that natural pass rush ability. Became a better run defender. We saw what the strength program did. Came in at like two thirty five and Lee in, and leaves weighing two eighty at the combine. Yeah, so crazy. that just shows you kind of what you could do if, if you he's put the freak. work in. Yeah, he's in fifty pounds of and muscle. It's like how we always would talk about Arakpo was the poster child. He came in at six four two fifteen, left at six four two fifty five. And when you see these wiry pass rushing right. frames that come in like this, but Rod, you talk about the student of the game part, and I'll, I'll always remember this about Charles because I you know I asked him about this after the Texas Tech game. And I like think him. this just shows you how deep in the film study he was. Remember that game where it really turned, and you look at the end of the game, and this is where you can say Texas probably won the game. Tech has a fourth down at yeah. like the minus 36. I this play. They got a fourth and mm-hmm. one. Yeah. And Charles says he goes and taps Chris Nelson. He said, move over. I'm lining up over the ball, and I'm going over the top. Because yeah. he said he studied film. He said every time they go under center in short yardage, it's always a quarterback sneak. It's never been anything else. They call quarterback sneak. He goes over the top. They stop it, and they score a touchdown three plays later. That's that. Yeah, and over the right. top is even like cooler. that. Just makes you feel good. Like wow, this yeah. is a guy that really gets shows it. football IQ. Shows like you said the film then study it shows in, leadership, and then the application in the chaos. Time, to recognize it. No, I, I'm with. You. I, I think that somebody's going to steal with Charles Manuel, and you're right because and, and it's, no, it's not his fault. It's just he's going to drop and he's going to drop to the, the third round or something just because. Man, it's just so many freakish mm-hmm. defensive linemen. It's the deepest defensive line draft we've probably seen in 30, 40 years. It may be the deepest ever. That's what they're saying. Yeah. In terms of athleticism, you had yeah. – make sure I get it right. You had, th- you had uh, three D tackles run 4-7 or faster. Yeah. You had nine One edge ran rushers a four, five, eight. won 4-6-5 mm-hmm. or better. You Ma- know what D tackles Montez Sweat ends? went 4-4-2. Four, four, he, he ran a faster time than Odell Beckham Jr. It's like, what the hell is mm-hmm. going on? They are making these. They are making defensive linemen different than they used to. Man, I'm with you. It, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's just the modern evolution. The bigger, faster, stronger, and yeah. then now these guys with this explosivity that have been training and specialized since they're young are able to. It's even another thing that's a totally different conversation for another day. But us as Longhorn fans always follow, like say when Aaron Ross married Sonia Richards Ross, and how like whenever oh, yeah. you started to see jeans. these <laughs> jeans, yes. But there was an article that came out, and I heard a lot of NBA people talking about it. Whenever Steph Curry came into the league, and he was like one of the first. There was only him there's single digit amount of kids of nba players that were in the league now now there's over 20 of them and it sort of coincides with females getting the rights to go get scholarship athletes in the 70s and 80s so then you started to have more females be able to meet males in college that were athletes and you just had this whole generation of kids the last five years have spawned where Mm. when you said odell beckham it's it's jumped into my mind because odell beckham's mom was a track star athlete and dad so you have a lot of these multi 
athlete parents and the Bosa's are one of those families and along these lines, and we see them at Texas all the time, that now they're just going to be so many more and more just great athletes. Hell, look, at, look at the basketball team at Texas with Jackson Hayes. Mom yeah. played college basketball. Dad played tight end 12 years in the NFL. No, it's a theme everywhere yeah. across all of college yeah, sports. Say, it's the really Westlake community good indicator. We've been great, talking. Uh, yep. Yeah, it's a great example of that. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, happening everywhere. Right. So uh, we'll talk about, you know, Devontae Davis. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about Devontae Davis the closer <laughs> we get to the pro day, and we'll talk more combat stuff we get to the pro day because we got some more ground we got to cover. But we can't have the show without talking about Lil Jordan Humphreys' combine. Rod, there were draft analysts who have said yeah. the worst combine they've ever seen, one of the worst combine performances <laughs> they've ever seen. That's not funny. There's no way, Rod, you could the, – here, here's the only way I found you could put a positive spin on L.J. Humphreys' combine. Please you ready? Do. This is the only thing I found. And trust me, I racked my brain for a long time okay. figuring out how can you, you know, put some lipstick on this pig. If a team really liked him and said, man, we, we'd probably take him in the third or fourth round, they're looking at him now saying, man, we can probably get him in the sixth yeah, or the seventh. Sixth round, yeah. Hell, maybe we don't even have to draft him. Yep, but point. maybe if, we, if we've if we got some of those picks, sixth, seventh round, boom, we take him right He'll there. He'll be there in the fifth round, probably fourth or fifth round. I, I, I think it's safe to say at this point, yes. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So. Because, and I don't want to sound like I'm knocking Lil' Jordan Humphrey personally, but, but the numbers are what they are, and – it's not good either way because you can talk about we know his game isn't built on speed, right? Mm-mm. But I think, Rod, to me the bigger issue is you knew speed wasn't your number one asset, yet you showed up 20 pounds under your playing your list of playing weight at Texas, mm-hmm. which suggested on the service, oh, he probably did a lot of speed training we all to lean up and get ready. Yeah. And then you go out and go 4.79 and 4.75. So to me, Rod, forget the time. The bigger question I think Lil Jordan Humphrey's got to answer now is, what were you doing between the bowl game and the combine to get yourself ready? Uh, and yeah, that's what I brought up on the show. I said the and it obviously you have to improve the forty time. And none of us who've watched him believe he's a four seven nine. No, or he's the slowest wide receiver. I was thinking worst case he would be mid four sixes. Yeah, he's got the slowest wide receiving time at the combine. I gotta go look back at the history books. It may be one of the slowest in the history of the combine. Yeah, like no joke for a wide receiver. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think now the 40 time, and that's that's a big problem for a wide receiver to have a slow 40 time. The bigger issue now is everybody wants to know, well, did you take the job interview seriously enough? Did is you, it a work ethic issue? It, then, you get to, then you're asking about intangibles and right. whether this is a guy you should invest in and, and football character and all that kind of So now, yes, football character is being called into question. So, you know, for him, he's got, I don't know when the Texas Pro Day is, when, three weeks or something like that? Yeah. Three weeks, something like that. Well, um, you got three right, weeks I, you for got, another. You got three weeks, man. Because the thing is, if they take your best numbers now, it will I hurt believe, you. But I if believe you put up a good it's time, Wednesday the 27th. Okay, so he's got, yeah, he's got about three weeks. He's got to get that 40 time down. And I'm with you. I think some team still really loves him. And they're just, now they're thinking, ooh, thank God. Yeah. Because now I get him in the sixth and the seventh. You know, there's round. a couple of teams. Yeah, because there. there's still two or three teams. And he's the type of receiver that doesn't yeah. need his top end speed. He does a lot of his yeah. stuff underneath, too. And he what, has ball skills. What we all loved about him was that he was a, a, a running back trapped in a wide receiver's body. Unfortunately, now we have more clarity. He's a running back trapped in a wide receiver's body with, a tight, with tight end speed. And and not even elite tight ends these days. I'm talking about just the, the blo- like you no. know blocking tight ends. Yes. You know what I mean? He's a, lumbering kind of old Gronk speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You look like yeah, you look like old Gronk out there. So I think for him, I think I think he's gonna be good. I think once he makes an NFL roster, the hard work will be done for him. This is the hard part for him. He he gets on the NFL roster. You put him in a slot, and you have you know, little Jordan Humphrey running routes. I think we all agree. Then he starts looking like the guy that you know was one of the best wide receivers in the country this year. 
Uh, he's a unicorn, man. He's he's got to go to the right place though, too. Right. Gronkowski ran a four seven nine at the combine. Gronk did. Yeah, four seven mm-hmm. nine on his first and a four six eight uh, on the seventh. There you but go. That, that's Tied just in. funny that. That's um, it. But yeah, so I think for him, he's got to go to the right the right spot, and who, somebody wants to use him as kind of that flex tight end. I think the. I know it sounds crazy. The Rams use their tight ends like that. Yeah. The Rams tight Higby ends are all sleek, long yep. guys. Higby I know it sounds crazy, him being a tight end. Like, no, no, he's not a tight end. He's a wide receiver. But how are teams going to use him? Because in the slot, where they're putting more and more athletic corners because they got to keep up with the Julian Edelmans of the world and the Cooper Cups of the world and the Kiki QTs and the Cole Beasleys. I don't know if he can necessarily get open in the NFL like, you know what I mean, like he did at the college level. He's not going to be playing against the third or fourth best corner every 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 down right. um, like he did in college. He's going to be playing sometimes against the second or you know second or the best cover cover guy on the team because teams are investing now in the slot cornerback. Because none of his other tests, Rod, were great. No, like the bench was all, terrible too. Yeah, the bench was. Let me make sure I get the bench. Yeah, I was upset about the bench. Was it thirteen? Thirteen reps on the bench. I was upset about that because I was like, man, thirteen reps. I think I was doing. Come on, man. That's that's like literally freshman year of. Didn't you do college. like fifteen, Ron? I think mm-hmm. I did like fifteen to six. I'm like, man, th- you get you get to do better than thirteen. You Even with 13. long arms, six, you should. He's like six, almost six four. He was two twenty something during the season, right? I expect his strength to be something that he was, you know, was a was an asset for him. No, no pun intended. Their strength, but turns out it wasn't the case. So yeah, I, I wonder too what he was doing. Whoever he was working out with, man, you need to move on quick, fast, in a hurry. And yeah. go to another trainer, or go to a track coach. You know what I mean, and figure out how to get your start together. He's a what I found. I watched this forty two. Either that, or I'm ready to fire my agent for setting me up with too. somebody bad. Um, he's got he, he's in, he's a he's and I know this is a track guy. He's a very inefficient runner. He he's got a lot of wasted movement when he runs, which yeah. is not good for a forty. That's what you train for, right? Yeah. No wasted movement. You know, start drive out of the exactly. So, that but that's what that's what combine prep is. True, I, I train you how to I run the forty. I'm with you. I don't I don't know what he was doing. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I watched. I was like, he doesn't look like a guy who's been trained to run the forty. And so has he been trained? He looks he looks completely different from the guy he was during the season. Like he had muscle some muscle definition yeah, in his nice, arms. Skinny and yeah, yeah, I agree. It didn't like, look good. Not a good look. That's what I said. Forget the time. It just makes it look like you just didn't take the combine prep serious at Football all. Football One, speed is real, though. And we, that's where, is. like, the, I mean, the modern devaluation of the NFL combine will actually help him. If, But it's going to have to take a team that's confident in what they're seeing and what they've seen on film right. in identifying. So it does hurt you because some teams will eliminate you. But there also will be some teams, like Rod said, that this can actually be a way that he can end up with a better landing spot that exactly. if they actually understand what they're looking yeah. for because his ball skills are his ball skills. He's rarely targeted 40 yards downfield. Now his quickness didn't come show up as well in the three cone or in the 20-yard shuttle. But if this is all stuff that, yet, like you said, it isn't a good sign if you show up to an interview lacking right. preparedness. Prepared, yeah. But if they're hiring you to play football, that actually has nothing to do with playing football. So right. we'll see where those But, I mean, it's, it's like dating, right? You want somebody to love you for who you are and take you for all your quirks. But that doesn't mean you can show up at the club with, like, a shirt with stains all over and your breath smelling bad. <laughs> nope. Like, Put your bag you got to present yourself. He might have screwed it up and, with and, a couple and, teams, but a, he still got a shot with the other ones. And I've said football speed is real. Like, I, I've I've noticed it. I, Kwame Cavill, I think, ran, like, a four six five or something. Kwame Cavill could get open on the football field. You know what I mean? That was football mm-hmm. speed. 
Um, and Jerry Rice famously, right? Jerry mm-hmm. Rice four, seven, four, six, four seven something, four six something. Chris Carter, I think, ran a four six. Larry Fitzgerald at the combine, I think, ran a four six three. At his pro day, I think he ran better at four 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 eight. Anquan Bolden ran a four seven. So football speed is real. He's got to hope that NFL coaches still believe in that. But in a data driven era that we currently mm-hmm. live in, and Tom Herman is one of the guy, one of the believers in this. They want to see documented. Real times, whether right. it be track times or whether it be the electronic time, they were like, "Well, no, 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 we're not, we're not going on football speed, folklore, and legend anymore." No, what do you run in the forty-yard mm-hmm. dash? I need to know. What do you run in the hundred-yard dash? Because we know what your ceiling. I want to know. And that's why Gary Johnson. Go look. At, go look at Tom Herman. He's really big on track times and really big on guys who run those official, you know, track times, whatever it is, because he knows that's documented speed. So for Lil Jordan Humphrey in this day and age, you don't hear people say football speed as much as they used to. You know, 10 years ago, it was like, football speed, football speed, football speed. Now it's like, nope, white boys can run too. You need to you need to improve your 40-yard dash time. There are ways to do it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I think it's going to hurt him tremendously, but I do think he can play. He's a ball player. I know yeah. that. I know watching the film he can play ball. Yeah, I give it the right yeah, to well, I think I think we all know that. Yeah. Um, another guy who we know can play ball, and, again, we'll talk more about combine stuff as we get closer to pro day, uh, a guy we know who can play ball is Parker Braun. And Texas Ooh, has yeah. added a grad transfer offensive lineman, the second offseason in a row, really third offseason in a row for this Tom Herman regime where they have had needs in the offseason and they have used the grad transfer market to or the junior college ranks or whatever to address those needs. Actually picked up two linemen this week, Willie Tyler, a JUCO product uh, out of Iowa Western, and you get Parker Braun. But what does he play? Willie Tyler's going to be a tackle, but he's going to be more of a red shirt, stash away, developmental type guy. Yeah. Uh, Parker Braun, and, and let's get this out of the way on Parker Braun. The, it's been kicked around that he could redshirt potentially because he does have a redshirt year really? he can use. But Texas doesn't make this move if they're not planning on using him. Yeah, why would you redshirt in all the, ACC? The thought, the <laughs> thought the would be is he wants a year to develop maybe in an NFL system coming from the Georgia Tech system. But let's be real. They're an old option. If you're yeah. Texas, you don't make this move unless you're getting the guy right away because yeah. – he is a plug-and-play instant starter at left guard probably in all likelihood. Yeah, That lets you look at your right guard battle probably between. I, I really think you take. But if he sucks and plays less than four games, he can still Richard. It's I, just a technicality that he has. Like He's eligible for it. I great think point. you take Kerstetter and Okafor and figure out which one of those guys is better and maybe plug one at tackle or let the other one compete yeah. with Junior Angelo for guard or whatever. I really think – you're going to find two starters between those three guys, Angelau, Kerstetter, and Okafor for mm-hmm. right guard, right, right guard. I agree with right that, right tackle, right guard. Uh, and, and actually, Kerstetter Rod is a guy that I like really to be a, a more souped-up version of what you had with Elijah Rodriguez in mm-hmm. terms of he's your he's your sixth Swiss man. Army knife, yeah. He's your guy that can play any position Center you need. guard, tackle, yeah. anywhere you need him. You, yeah. have a, you have a disaster. Okay, you go in, plug in, there we move this around, boom, keep going. Yeah, he manufactures depth for you. Yes. And I, I love that Herb Hand, that's one of his – Tent pole philosophies, right? We know that now. He wants guys that are versatile. At least two of those, two or three of those guys, and he's got like you know two guys that can switch up and play different things. For him. I think Okafor can play some tackle. Okafor's guard. guard tackle, yes. Yeah, so I think yeah, I, I like I like having that. Honestly, I would make that kind of a, a commandment for all offensive linemen. Like you know, what I mean, I need two of those guys every year on my O line. I think Bronze even a guy that can step in Is and he? maybe play some center for you. Oh, that's. That's interesting, yeah. yeah. That's a good one. I, I didn't think about it. He's, he's like 6'3", 280 or something, because yeah. he is considered undersized. Yeah. Um, but he's really athletic from what right. I hear. 
And, I mean, that could be if you decide that your best guards are Angulau and Okafor, like you decide after Braun, maybe Braun, if something happens to Shackelford, maybe instead of Kerstetter, maybe you move Braun to center, decide, okay, we're just going to beef up the interior, move Braun over to center, yeah. and flank him with these two guards that we really like, and then maybe you got Kerstetter or Christian Jones or whoever ends up being right tackle. But you, you've got – The versatility gives you options. The, yes, the addition of Parker yeah. Braun gives you options. And now you've got like seven, eight guys right yeah. now that we can think of probably that you're going to be deciding between the rotation and who's yeah, going to play. because Tope has got a chance to get himself in there. Yeah, you, know, you brought I, up Angulao. I think J.P. Urquidez is a guy on the outside that's got a chance to maybe get himself in there and get some reps. I think this spring is huge for those two guys. I think you really this staff now, those guys as fourth-year juniors, you really got to figure out, okay, can these guys play or not? Uh, yeah, no question, because then you got to decide, all right, this class that we're red-shirting right. of offensive linemen. Because if you decide, for instance, yeah. like J.P. Urquidez, you decide, okay, he's not a guy. Okay, it's Christian Jones or is Reese Moore a guy? Because yeah. we need to get them those practice reps. Agreed, yeah. So this is one of those springs. No or like Tope Amade, if you decide Tope Amade is not a guy, then Rafiti Germain needs to be getting those reps yeah. this spring yep. or, or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it's like we talked about last year with Calvin Anderson, uh, and then you also bring in Trey Watson the year before. You need a kicker. You go get Joshua Rowland from JUCO. You go bring in Kendall Moore to help your tight end issue. Rod, I, I just like that this staff, it's not that they're reinventing the wheel, but you know, Tom Herman's always fond of telling the players, hey, we don't miss. If you take a lazy step, we're going to see it. It's nice to see the coaches kind of repay that in terms of building this roster, saying, hey, look, if we got a hole, let's go fill it. I even heard that they even kicked the tires on potential grad transfer corners, but they decided, look, we just like Anthony Cook and Jalen Green Green. so much that we feel like we'll just grow with these two young guys. But they actually took a look and, hey, do we need to bring in a corner to create a little buffer like they decided they need to do with the offensive line? So I just like that this staff is always thinking two steps ahead and not leaving anything to chance. Well, and the way that this staff, I mean, it just sort of spawned the last five years, but there's a whole nother way that you can go and – fix your roster you used to have to wait and yeah. find kids to recruit and you couldn't rely on a transfer it's taking a year but i mean now you have the kids in high school qual- just getting so many college credits that you can see them actually graduating in two and three years and now it's so easy that you can now go shop around and i mean it's like you're already recruiting and looking at who's going to be eligible next mm-hmm. year and you can start watching film on these guys and have guys finger picked that you want to go after if you say miss out on x recruit that's something that didn't even exist this five years ago. Yeah, I agree with that. So when you look at the roster, though, you you add Willie Tyler, you add Parker Braun, and those moves are not official yet, but they're you know they they're done. Yeah. When you look at this roster, Rod, they've got one spot left that they can fill, and I think they hold on to that in case something just really good comes up in the grad transfer market and running back. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Which I've heard probably not. Right. The only thing I've seen that could possibly come up is you've got Tavian Feaster at Clemson, who is still within this spring. It sounds like he's going to go through spring ball there uh, and then maybe make a decision after that. I don't know, but he's a guy that does have an option to be a grad transfer guy if he wants. I would think if Tavian Feaster's on the market, that's a move. If you're Texas, you definitely look at making to, to bring another body into the running back room. Or maybe there's something on the offensive line. Again, you know, because we're talking about, you know, guys like Junior Angelo and Christian Jones, maybe there's something that's just too good to pass up. But now you've set yourself in a position to where, okay, you've got one spot left you can add. Let's save it for best available guy on the grad transfer market. Yeah. Whether it's a running back or an old lineman or whatever. Exactly. And and I'm with you. You only seem to have two needs 
you know, offensively like that. And like you said, I mean, I don't, I don't know on defense. They're looking up something, but they wouldn't use it on defense, right? At this point, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, you know, because you've got body, you've got bodies at linebacker. You're just, you're young just, you're just inexperienced, yeah. and uh, you know, Jacoby Jones. I think as a JUCO guy, who again we talked about him last week, he's added anywhere between ten to fifteen pounds since he's been on campus. Probably the high end of that. Uh, to help fill a role on the D line, so but you had body. I mean, you had Graham and Wilbon and Bimmage coming off the shoulder surgery. Yeah. So you I mean you've got you've got bodies on defense. You just don't have a lot of experience yeah. with some of them. Um, let's go ahead and talk spring football. We got a few minutes here, and we'll talk more spring football next week because actually, when we get into record, spring football will technically have started. The first day of spring is going to be uh, on the eleventh on Beautiful. Monday. Love so. It. Rod, as we start looking at spring ball, I guess we'll end the show with this and we'll go ahead and start talking into more, you know, in depth next week. What is your one big concern, question mark? What what is top of mind for you going into spring practice? Um interesting. I, I would say it's definitely gonna be on defense. I'm gonna go on the defensive side of the ball. And I'll I'll just go with the lack of experience, and I mean, I know that's a really kind of a blanket statement, but I mean, you and I've talked about it. I mean, and we've crunched the numbers. I think they they're gonna lose two hundred twenty three combined starts. I think it's two thirty three uh, that that I saw, and that I I tried to go back. I did as much research as I could, mm. so I I went through the internet era. All right, and once you once it's you good go, enough, man. Once you break through the through the internet era, like once you once you go down that rabbit hole, and you're like, oh, there's no more actual tracked data. Yeah, you pass like 1994, five, like uh, that's as far back as I could go. And literally, I gotta go start asking Craig Way and, and Bill Little, yes. like, hey, do you, you gotta remember? go to the school historian. Yeah, exactly. Um, because I haven't found in the internet age a Texas defense that has lost more than this defense lost this year. In career going starts. From, and, and combined starts. And yep. just go look at the manpower. We just talk, we just got to talk about how good that 2017 defense mm-hmm. was. And now all those guys are pretty much gone except for Brandon Jones and Malcolm Roach. I mean, basically, yeah. this is the first. And, this, and I think it's a good and a bad thing. It's first Todd Orlando defense in nine years. Probably got to go back to his time at UConn where over 70% of the defense is are his guys. Guys, he recruited yeah. specifically to his mm-hmm. system. He hasn't had that in a while, so that's that, that. That gives me hope. I also get a lot of hope from this is his first time, Todd Orlando, having access to elite defensive linemen in the last three years. When he's had access to elite defensive linemen now, four years because going back to U of H with Ed Oliver, they've played really well. Puna Four Defensive Lineman of the Year, Charles Minhu, Defensive Lineman of the Year, Ed Oliver. You know, all world Ed Oliver, right? All American. So when he's had a really good D lineman and he's getting more and more of them, more access to him, and, and, and now at the Power Five level, his defense are, I think, getting better. And even though right. he's playing better offenses, too. Yep. So I think that gives me hope. And then I think Texas will have the best safety trio, or at least a top five safety trio in the country next year. That gives me hope. But you can't find a D. And even those Vance Bedford's second year defenses and the Manny Diaz second year defenses, they, they, lost, they lost less than this defense. And they fell off a cliff. Yeah, I think fourteen to fifteen. I think it was two oh three in terms yeah. of starts lost. So, and yeah. that's exactly why it coincides with this because this group was forced to play so exactly. young yeah. and then played so much. So you have guys that weren't even starters with this amount of career starts on their resume. And then when you look at going forward, though, because we talk about the change and the uncertainty, yeah. it's there. But the one thing we've been waiting for is continuity, and this will be the first time that Todd Orlando has the guys that he, he recruited. recruited and his guys. So if you think about the 
the square peg round hole and what seemed to be a big issue with Texas always having to fit some other guys' guys into my system. And yep. Orlando might have done the best job of all of the predecessors at doing that. Because he's been used to that. it because he did it at U of H, at so, Florida International, and at Utah State. Same thing. Only two years there. So it coincides yeah. with change. Like, change isn't always bad, but it also is uncertainty. Anxiety. And it makes you wonder what's going to go on. And then you actually, if you're confident in the change, then you go through with it. And now we'll just find out how confident he is in the parts that are changing that he got to handpick. I am confident that Texas hasn't lost as much. Think about it. Mac always had him staggered, as, as Matt just brought up. Mm-hmm. You know, well, when I left, Nathan Vasher and Derek Johnson and Marcus Tubbs were still here. Like, that was always, it was right. always staggered because yep. he was always putting in, you know, uh, the, the new recruiting classes slowly but surely. But when Charlie had came in and Charlie played more freshman than any other coach in the history of Texas football for two years. Yep. No. Then you saw that uh, you saw that actually come to uh, you know a culmination mm-hmm. when 2017, 2018's defense. But now all those guys with all those starts, they're mm-hmm. just three year starters from that defense. They're all gone, and now you're almost starting from scratch again. Other than Brandon Jones, Caden Stearns, who was a an all freshman All American yeah. last year, right. uh, and who's probably the best freshman safety we've had in the history of University of Texas, and Malcolm Roach. So those are your three. Other than that, everybody else is new. I love how you said it too, starting from scratch, because you know scratch, you saw man. Charlie and he he had the guys and he started from scratch, but he wasn't able to get that cake in and let it bake, and that's whenever <laughs> you ended up. That's whenever you ended up getting it to be. Tom Herman took over oh. his guys, and Charlie didn't get the field, the fruits of his he labor, didn't. and get right. those guys. We're at that tipping point where Herman gets to maybe get the fruits of Good all point. those players. So Good he's point. getting to bake that cake and take it out of the oven and start to eat it now, which Charlie never got to do. Tom, Tom ate his cake. Tom, Tom ate his cake. Tom Herman <laughs> did with that cake what uh, what uh, my wife makes me do with food when it's bad in the refrigerator. Just throw it over the back fence, let the, ra- <laughs> let the raccoons go eat it. <laughs> Beat that's what Tom Herman did that's, with that's that raccoon cake. cake. Is what that is. That's what Tom. <laughs> and use a different word. Let the, let the let the deer out in the out in the pasture have yeah. a feast. <laughs> and start over from scratch. Right. Uh, uh, but yeah, no. Do do lose life. But we didn't even tell. We haven't talked about this because this has happened. We've had shows in between. So Brandon Jones has the ankle surgery. He's not going to be available for spring practice. Blessing so in disguise. I agree hundred percent because now. Starting two safeties for that first practice are probably going to be B.J. Foster and Caden Stearns, which is going to really force DeMarvion Overstone to get a lot of reps at Joker. Yep. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what that looks exactly. like. Exactly. I think that's actually the best thing that could have happened to him because I think Tarlando now will – he'll try to work B.J. Foster, Caden Stearns, and DeMarvion Overshone at those nickel, dimes, and safeties. Right. I want all three of those guys to be able to play strong, free, nickel, and dime. I said you got to do it, but think about how versatile your defense is when you can't tell if B.J. Mm-hmm. Foster, mm-hmm. Caden Stearns, or DeMarvion Overshone are at whichever position they're at at the time because you're moving things around. And you're the master Mental of disguise, all right, as, they, as, as uh, Clay Helton called him. So instead of a ghost front, can you have a ghost think, oh, back? Oh, sorry, the master of the art of confusion. Sorry. So instead of a ghost front, you have a ghost back? Yeah. <laughs> and we know he likes disguise, right? He yeah. likes to move things around. I think that's how you start this year is those three guys play – almost every position in the secondary other than the corner. And I put Anthony Cook in that position to play nickel, too. I want all those guys to be able yeah. to play it, just in case. Cross-training like Herb Hand. A ghost coverage, if you will. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Think about how crazy that would be. You 
would never know what coverage they're in. No. Because all those guys can play man. They can match up. They all can come down and fill the alley. Ooh, I'm getting excited. I was looking at uh, <laughs> I was looking at some stuff from Pro Football Focus. Uh, I saw it pop up on my Twitter timeline. They do, I think it was completion percentage allowed or percentage of targets allowed. Pro Football Focus? Yeah. For Caden Stearns. It's crazy. Yeah, in, in terms it. of Big 12 safeties. But B.J. Yes. Foster was like number four in the conference in terms of like uh, I think it was complete. And King Stars was like, I think his, uh, man, the opposing, I got to make sure I get the number, it was like 21.4%. Yeah. Crazy like I that. forgot what the stat was, but I saw B.J. Foster and Caden Stearns both among the best safeties. I literally just saw it. I'll get it here But, Rod, that, that holds weight because in the Big 12 as a safety, you're in man coverage. You oh, end up in man coverage whether you want to or not quite a bit. And usually that's the matchup that the, the, the offense is wrong, right? Like, oh, we got a safety on our slot wide receiver. But with Texas, that's not necessarily an advantage because Texas yep. has safeties that can corner, that, that can cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll retweet it, and I'll put some stat above it. But, yeah, it's, I saw it at Pro Football Focus, but I just I can't find it right now. Oh, I just found it. Damn it. There you go. Okay. It's forced incompletion percentage yeah. from Pro Football Focus. Big 12 safeties, minimum of 25 targets in, in coverage. Kane Stearns, 21.4% of the time uh, he forced an incompletion, basically, when he was in coverage. Uh, B.J. Foster is fourth, 9.7% of the time. Number two in the Big 12, Brendan Radley-Hiles of OU, 14.3% of the time. He's the best coverage safety in the Big 12, and it ain't even close. Yeah, you can combine those two below him, and it almost equals him. So next week, uh, definitely more spring ball talk. And and I want to get into this because we've been talking about doing it for a couple weeks. We haven't. I really want to kind of try to put 2018 to bed. Maybe we do that next week after we've got some – Spring preliminary, at least, spring ball to talk about. Matt, thanks for everything, man. Oh, you're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for Travis, the best damn videographer in the podcast game. For everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049 AM, 1260, 101.9, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you get Rod B. on the Rodcast each and every weekday from 1 to 3. Shameless plug. You can also get the Blitz on the Horn, and thanks to Matt, you can get any of our archives on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.